When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The negotiations now are underway to finish up the appropriation bill so there's no government shutdown. Vaccine mandates are much easier to do at the state level than at the federal level. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We've seen some damage to the credibility on how poorly the U.S. did predicting that Taliban takeover. The country has moved from a weariness with COVID to a resignation and that somehow we're going to get through it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The new year dawns in the nation's capital, complete with a fresh layer of snow and a pile of challenges we ended last year with. They have not melted away. It's the fastest hour in politics. Welcome as we attempt to tackle those challenges right now, starting with the big one, COVID and its companion inflation. The White House trying to manage both at the start here of 2022, we're going to talk about them ahead with White House economic advisor Heather Boucher. Later, we'll be joined by Greg Valliere, chief policy strategist at AGF Investments on the risks facing President Biden's economic agenda in the new year. And the panel. We couldn't start 22 without the signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, both with us here. Readings from snowy Washington, up to a foot, they say, in some areas. Not quite that much around where I am, but it's not too often we get a real one like today in D.C. And I'm joining you today, in fact, from across the Potomac River in an undisclosed location where I, like millions of Americans, am living in quarantine. I'm fully vaccinated and boosted, got COVID anyway. And by that, I mean, thank God I'm fully vaccinated and boosted because I got COVID anyway. And chances are, you know, someone doing the same thing or maybe yourself. Omicron is mainstream, and we're all lined up for tests like we were almost two years ago now. It's been really bizarre to watch it all happen. And it's a story that touches everything, right, from our economy to our politics. It's the backdrop for everything the White House is trying to do to manage inflation as COVID puts stress on the labor force, which puts stress on employers and supply chains. Just ask the airlines how it went over the weekend. And with Washington closed for snow today, President Biden still held an event, a mostly virtual event, about controlling prices, in this case food prices, even more specifically prices for meat. The president says it comes down to the big four meat companies. Think Tyson's, JBS, we'll call them for the sake of this broadcast, Big Protein. Four big corporations control more than half the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. These middlemen that they buy from, farmers and ranchers, and sell the processors, they, excuse me, and sell the processed 
excuse me, sell the processed product to grocery stores. That's the, that's the way it works. Without meaningful competition, farmers and ranchers don't get to choose who they sell to. Or put another way, our farmers and ranchers have to pay whatever these four big companies say they have to pay. Yeah, the White House says these four big companies, in fact, control 85% of U.S. beef processing capacity. Think about that next time you order a ribeye. And the administration is offering a billion dollars in aid to smaller independent meat and poultry producers. This is just the latest move, of course, and we've talked about a lot of them uh, by this White House in recent months to manage rising prices in the middle of a pandemic. And that is where we begin with Heather Boucher, member of the Council of Economic Advisors, one of President Biden's most important, most near, I should say, economic advisors. Heather, it's great to have you back. I have to start broad on this now as I'm sitting here, you know, talking to you from home because I'm lucky enough to have the resources to do so. I'm just struck by the the constant interruptions and curves in the road that COVID is bringing. And I just wonder for someone like you, whose job is forecasting, helping to understand where we're going and advising the president, if it's, if it's even possible to do your job when the baseline keeps moving. Well, it certainly has been hard. And let me just start, Joe, by saying, I'm so sorry that you're sick and I hope you get better soon. I'm doing great, I'm uh, vaccinated. Well, good. I'm, and, and, and that's going to be my segue. You know, we've known since the beginning of this pandemic that the most important thing was to contain it. And mm-hmm. one of the best tools we have in our toolkit is the vaccine. And now we know that there's breakthrough cases and, you know, all the things that have happened. But, you know, as we're trying to understand what the economic implications are, the most important thing is really tracking what's happening to the virus and how people are responding and whether or not they're getting the vaccine like you did, like I did, like millions of other people did, Um, because that's how we're going to get the economy back on track. Well, let's talk about that uh, with regard to the, the workforce. We saw the airlines, and it's kind of like the the front line. They have no choice but to react in the moment because flights have to, to take off and land. But other industries are going through this in ways that we don't see in such an immediate fashion, right? How is it possible to keep growth going when a variant like this can cause such uh, immediate interruptions where companies are reversing their work-at-home policies and now rethinking their vaccine mandates? Well, I mean, here's the thing. For starters, we are not in the same place we were when the pandemic started or even, you know, last year. We have a lot more tools at our disposal and folks that are vaccinated, you know, they're getting sick, but they're getting better quickly. So, you know, the important thing is that people have that time away from work um, and then they can go back. And so we don't think that this disruption is going to be like what it was before. But we also have, again, a lot of tools in our toolbox. You know, there's still money from the American Rescue Plan flowing through the economy. Um, There is another tranche of aid to the states that's still left to be done. There is still support out there um, across the country in, in in a variety of ways. And that's really important. We knew when um, the American Rescue Plan was put into place in March, that we didn't exactly know what the what this what this pandemic was going to look like, and that's why that that amount needed to be so big, yeah. um, so that we had all of those resources. So all of that makes me, you know, optimistic that we'll be able to get through this. Um, and that businesses, you know, they do know how to um, have um, workers go to telecommute. They do know how to adapt quickly now because we've all been around this, you know, a few times at this yeah. point. This billion dollars in aid uh, to the, the, the independent meat producers is from the American Rescue Plan, right? This is from that that chunk of money that you carved out last year. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, the president, when he was on the campaign, was already talking about that one of the things that COVID really uncovered was how um, fragile many of our nation's supply chains were. The things that are really important that people be able to, to get. So in the beginning of the pandemic, it was all that protective gear. As we've gone through the pandemic, we've seen different issues bubble up. And, you know, today the president was talking about the challenges in the meat sector, what that supply chain looks like and how, because it is so concentrated, that creates weaknesses and fragilities. So we need to open that up. And the billion dollars is to open up new capacity um, to expand processing capacity for meat and poultry to bring in smaller producers so that if, you know, one producer has a fire or has a COVID outbreak, there's other um, producers that um, that people can turn to to get their to get their meat on the table. And, and you see that increasing uh, increasing capacity for jobs as well, as the president said today. I want to ask you, though, about reaction from the industry, because you and I were just talking about about uh, the labor shortage, and, and it seems like all roads kind of bring us back to that. And it was from uh, the North American Meat Institute. Juliana Potts uh, is president and CEO of that group and said the administration wants the American people to believe the meat and poultry industry is unique and not experiencing the same problems causing inflation across the economy. Like, she lists, increased input costs, increased energy costs, labor shortages, and transportation challenges. So by isolating the meat industry here, the meat processing industry, are you able to do more specifically in this case than you could just broadly, as as Juliana Potts puts out, what every industry is going through? Well, let me say two things to that. First off, it was back during the summer that the president announced a whole-of-government approach to market structure and competition more broadly. So meat industry is not the only sector of the economy that we're focusing on in sure, terms of understood. making sure that markets work. Um, it just is the one we're, fo- it's the one we're focusing on today because it's so important to American families. Yeah. But second, you know, of that billion dollars um, that's available through the American Rescue Plan that, that um, you know, the president talked about today, there's $100 million um, that will be available to help um, deal with training issues. This has been an issue for the meat um, processing industry. It's a it's an industry in, that's in rural parts of the country, where um, they, there hasn't been enough investment in that um, labor supply and making sure there's people with the skills and the capacity to do those jobs, mm-hmm. and that those are good jobs that are safe and all the things that we've learned about during the pandemic. Um, so there's money in there to to help build up that pipeline of workers as well. I guess another way of asking it, uh, Heather Boucher, is when you're when you consider the the overwhelming forces, the existential forces of our economy right now, namely COVID and labor shortages, as we're talking about in this in this case, how does a program like this overcome such overwhelming forces? Is a billion dollars enough to do it? (laughs) Well, time will tell. It's certainly an important step forward. Um, but, you know, other really important pieces of the puzzle, um, it's not just about the money, but it's about making sure that we enforce the laws on the books, that we make sure that we are enforcing um, our rules around competitive markets in a way that is fair and creates room for actual competition, because that's what propels our economy forward. Yeah. So this is just one of the steps that the president announced today, um, just to make sure that markets work as advertised. Sure. Lastly, Heather, what's your view and is it evolving on inflation for the new year? Here we are. We made it into 2022. Are you and I having this conversation six months, 12 months down the road, or is it impossible for you to to, to put that fine a point on it? 
Well, you know, uh, forecasters, including the Federal Reserve, the Congressional Budget Office, and folks are um, uh, believe that inflation will start to um, come down as we get these supply chain challenges under control, as we get the virus under control, um, and I remain optimistic. But let's also remember that 2021 was a really incredible year in terms of so many economic metrics. Sure. We brought the unemployment rate down to 4.2%. We got people back and you know we cover the data here at Bloomberg. I'm just deeply curious to see how long this path will be. And Heather, I always wish I had more time with you. Heather Boucher, member of the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House. Thanks for getting us started for 2022. On to the panel, Rick and Jeannie. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden launches plan to fight meatpacker giants on inflation. <laughs> there are just some things you don't think you're ever going to say on the air until it happens. But that was the mission today at the White House, as discussed with Heather Boucher to start the program. Welcome to Sound On. Did you hear the president talk about the ground beef today? <laughs> could, could you tell me how much it costs for a pound of ground round? I mean, right now without looking. You know I wanted to play the Price is Right theme here. Listen to President Biden in his event today on competition in the meat industry. I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday, and there's a sunroom off the kitchen, and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Marianne, yeah. and she was saying, do you realize it's over $5 for a pound of hamburger meat? $5. $5. Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs 5 bucks compared Less than four bucks before the pandemic. Now, is he talking 80 20 there? 85 15? Is that prime? When was the debate with uh, George Bush Sr. with the, the gallon of milk? I mean, they had, that, they had that set up today. Let's assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us. Happy New Year to both of us. You remember that, Rick? 1992, right? The gallon of milk. Yeah, I was there. You were there. This is the kind of stuff you send your guy out with because it's going to come up. Yeah, you got to have the general grocery tab in the in the briefing points. How did he do with gallon that, of Jeannie? milk, pound of beef? <laughs> right. How did he do, Jeannie? Did he come across as a genuine American? These are these are the these are the moments uh, that make the news. <laughs> He did. He he was able to say how much that ground beef was. He didn't have like Rick Davis there questioning him on the costs of other things, which may have thrown him. But I, I think he did a pretty good job. And Joe, I am very happy to hear that you are OK and staying quarantined and healthy under the circumstances. Well, thank you. I'm uh, we're only using the best ground beef while we're at home again. It's kind of a throwback, you know, when we got this nice little snowstorm. So. Uh, you know, I'm doing fine. And thank you for, for saying that. I just wonder what you both think of this sort of first salvo of the new year. We could have done anything right. We had the phone call with Zelensky last night. Uh, we've had a lot of things going on with COVID. It could have been a COVID event. But but meat prices, Rick Davis, is, is this truly, you know, the epitome of, of the kitchen table conversation? You know, I guess it's, he's trying to be at the kitchen table. Um, I guess they're having hamburger for dinner that day. Yeah. And uh, and yet I think it misses the whole point. I mean, the, the biggest contributor to inflation is energy prices. He's got a lot of 
uh, cities right now under the deep freeze, and those mm-hmm. prices are only going up. Natural gas and other, uh, you know, uh, energy opportunities, and 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 yet he's silent on that. So I, I get it. You know, he wants to sort of connect with, uh, you know, the blue collar middle America. That's his yeah. his shtick as president. But like, I think he's missing the big picture. And if he thinks he's going to tackle. In national inflation at the rate it's at with a billion dollar subsidy to hamburger producers. I don't get it. <laughs> that was the point of this, though, right? Jeannie was to 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 create a venue in which the president could say, I feel your pain, show his his working class credentials. That's right. And also to tackle what everybody agrees is going to be the key issue of the this year, which is inflation. That's yeah. what Republicans have said they will be talking about. And the White House is going to talk about it as well. And, you know, I think the president did a good job today talking about this. And I think he can also talk about how it impacts other areas. So as Rick talks about energy, he can do more than one thing. You know, today was a meat day, but we will see the White House tackling this as we go forward and and right they should you know let's not forget and i thought your interview with heather boucher was really important when she said the pandemic has uncovered how fragile these supply chains are and meat sector is one example but there have been others as well she mentioned protective gear so the white house needs to keep hitting on this to show people that it is addressing it it's doing what it can and it is also feeling people's pain at the same time is it a good day for politics like that? Did the president pull pull that off? And Rick, you know that side of Joe Biden. You you worked around him in the Senate for a lot of years. This is supposed to be his forte, right? Talking about guys. Did you hear what Madeline said last weekend? The price of beef. This is this is politics. And I realize they're trying to solve a problem. Billion dollars is a lot of money, but this is politics uh, at the same time. Yeah, I think he leads off. You know, twenty twenty two, an election year with a basically a political event today. Um, this is not going to have any big impact on anybody's kitchen table. Uh, uh, he's not going to affect the $5 pound uh, price uh, by throwing the subsidy at, uh, at people. Uh, but he was able to be empathetic, right? This mm-hmm. is his right. thing. He's, he's the empathetic president. He wants to connect with uh, voters who are having these conversations. Probably not very many of them woke up today thinking their president was going to talk to them about hamburger meat. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I, I get where they're coming from. I just I don't see it as a, a table setter. Why, why wouldn't he lay out his agenda for 2022, you know, and the things he's going to try to accomplish rather than and hitting the meat circuit? All interesting questions. By the way, would either of you have known the price of a pound of ground meat, if you can be honest, Rick? Well, I, I like the lean ground beef, and that's a lot you, more expensive you went for the 90%. than $5 a pound. The 95 or <laughs> Jeannie, what do you, would you have reached for $5, Jeannie? Yeah, I would have gone about $5. I don't wow. have as expensive taste as Rick Davis. All right, you guys, you guys are more plugged in than I. We'll see if Greg Valliere is buying the prime beef. He's going to come up with us next after we check markets and traffic for you. Greg Fallier on the president's economic agenda, what's left of it in the new year. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. So much talk about meat prices here on the broadcast today. Maybe we work on a steakhouse sponsor in the new year. Just throwing the hints out to those who need to hear them. Welcome to the prime beef of politics. Bloomberg Sound On carries into the new year with the view ahead from Greg Valliere, chief policy strategist at AGF Investments. He's here in just a moment. Philip Jefferson, a name you're going to be hearing about tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. I bet Greg Valier used to go out to the good D.C. steakhouses back when you could still take someone out to lunch here in the nation's capital. He, of course, is chief policy strategist now at AGF Investments. Greg, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's great to have you with us on Bloomberg Radio. They st- you can't do expense accounts the way you used to, right, because of soft money and all that stuff. Times have changed, my friend. Times have, have changed. Yeah. Were you a Charlie Palmer guy? Prime uh, no, rib there guy. A, there's a restaurant called uh, uh, the Steak. There's, a, there's there's one called the Steak. There's a okay. Palm. There are a whole bunch, yeah, but they're the they're they're kind of uh, passe, I think. All right. Well, you are of course leaning into the future with us, and that's why you're here. That's what we wanted to talk to you about, Greg. I have a lot of questions uh, for you about the future of the economic agenda, and and the risks of inflation going into this year. But Charlie Pella just dropped one in our laps here. Philip Jefferson. Uh, said to be uh, not just on the short list, but but to be named to the Federal Reserve. We have three open seats here, and I know it's something that people in the markets have been really waiting uh, for quite a bit of time uh, for this White House to come out with here. Do you have high hopes for sort of the, the Biden vision of the Fed, a more diverse-looking central bank? Is that going to happen in the next couple of days? Yeah, I think there'll be more people of color. There might be a, a gay person. There may be... Uh, ethnic groups represented. I think that's a, a big uh, objective. It certainly is a big objective of people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. But when it comes to the policies, I, I think it's going to be pretty monolithic. I think you're going to get people who are uh, on singing from the same uh, choir book. 
and does that mean uh, from from the more liberal book or from the hawkish book on fighting inflation? The president's got a few different crowds to please here. Yeah, I, I think more uh, dovish on inflation. Uh, I think that the, the Fed is going to have to do some work. We all know that. They'll probably raise rates twice. Not sure about three times. We'll see if the variant calms down. But I, I think this Fed, know, they know they have to be a little bit more aggressive. If there's a surprise on monetary policy, I think they might be a little less aggressive than our people are thinking right now. So, yeah, I just wonder what the confirmations are going to be like. And now that we have a name here, I wonder what, what a confirmation hearing for Philip Jefferson would look like here. The vice president for academic affairs, dean of faculty and economics professor at Davidson College in North Carolina. This is, you know, a serious academic they'd be talking with. Very well qualified from all initial appearances. Yeah. I would think he would win confirmation, and I think the other two would probably win confirmation as well. The interesting thing here is the confirmation hearings for Jerome Powell, and I think several progressives headed by Elizabeth Warren will vote against him. That's going to be a big opportunity for a lot of grandstanding for a lot of people, I'm yep. sure, Greg. Uh, as we try to put the pieces uh, back together here on on Build Back Better, uh, I'm not even sure what the question is right now, because I know you're not in the president's head or Joe Manchin's head. But when you just when you step back, Greg Valliere, and look at the start of this year with covid just ripping through communities, uh, so many major corporations going back to work from home. You see Broadway plays coming down. You see a lot of flights, thousands of them being canceled. And I just wonder what kind of support this economy is going to have. Uh, for the Biden agenda going into the new year. Are you worried about a major slowdown? Not really, no. And the markets certainly weren't today. The markets Not at all. Very, as you know, they did very well. Two things I'd say. Number one, we just mentioned, I think the Fed might be a little more dovish than people are, have said over the last few weeks. Yeah. Secondly, there may have to be more on fiscal policy. There may have to be more uh, assistance. I, I think it is would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. It's not going to be two trillion. It's going to get a haircut. But I do think that even Joe Manchin is willing to cut a deal. And you know, all during the fall, I said I didn't think there'd be a deal, and I was vindicated. Now I'm saying I think there will be something by spring. Well, maybe it's more of what you said, though. Is this more stimulus? Is this uh, American Rescue the sequel, or is this something more like? Uh, pre-K education, child tax credit, and so forth. Yeah, the latter, I think, Joe. I, I think, you know, Manchin likes the idea of pre-K assistance and yeah. some uh, improved uh, Obamacare provisions. Uh, he probably will get a, a a big, big cut in the child tax credit. Uh, maybe it'll be means-tested. Maybe it'll be uh, it'll cost a lot less. But there's still a deal there. I'm, I'm convinced that both he and Kirsten Sinema are willing to do something. It's not going to be what Elizabeth Warren wants, but yeah. it will be something. It sounds like you can see across the valley a little bit here then you get a fed that cools it because of what's happening with the variant and and, and labor shortages that are rippling through the economy here uh you combine that with a little bit of stimulus and and where are we six months into the year 
I think we're still at a good place with GDP, close to 3 3.5%. Uh, I think the labor market is going to be red hot. I think that, that would be largely a positive. The negative, obviously, is inflation, but we all know that. The markets all know that. And I think as we get into mid-year, some of the bottlenecks uh, from a supply standpoint may begin to ease. Uh, some of the inflation pressure may begin to ease. So I, I'm pretty optimistic about 2022. I know you wear two hats. One is uh, as an economist and the other one is as a, as a political uh, expert here. What does that mean for Joe Biden then? And Democrats in the second half of the year, let's say they thread the needle on inflation, Greg. Everything you just say or just said ends up happening. Does this end up being not so bad a midterm cycle for this party? No, I don't think so. I, I think that's going history, with history. Yeah, history would show that a, a first term president in his first midterm election always loses a lot of seats. Uh, when I look at this uh, House, where the Republicans only need a net gain of five, yeah. I think they'll gain 15 or 20, not 30. Some people are talking 30, but I do think the House flips, and there's a chance that the Senate could as well. Thanks for helping us set the table on the new year. It's great always to speak with Greg Valier. Thank you, Greg. Uh, AGF Investments, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist with us on Sound On. We'll reassemble the panel next. See how Rick and Jeannie feel as we approach January 6th. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So record highs to start the new year on Wall Street, along with rising prices at home. And as you heard earlier this hour on Bloomberg Radio, the White House keeping an eye on the Federal Reserve, likely to nominate Philip Jefferson for Fed seat. As I read on the terminal now, likely to nominate economist Philip Jefferson for a seat on the Board of Governors, according to people familiar with the matter, an appointment that would make him just the fourth black man to hold a position in the central bank's more than 100-year history. This is one of three we are waiting for, and we'll see. Maybe it uh, comes out as a trio. Maybe there's a big rollout. Maybe this is staggered. There's been a lot of questioning in, on this program as recently as last week about what might be taking so long. We reassemble the panel now. Rick and Jeannie are no strangers to this conversation. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis with us for the hour. Rick, we talked last week about some of the names on the short list or some of the just the, the nuances that might come with some of these appointments. And then, of course, the confirmations themselves. Does a name like Philip Jefferson, well-regarded economist, academic, sort of meet that standard you see of someone clearing the bar for confirmation? For sure. Uh, he's a well-thought-of guy. He's got a, a deep background in the economy. Um, this is what you look for in a uh, in a pick from uh, this administration, and and we talked extensively about the need to add diversity to the uh, board of governors. And if confirmed, uh, Phil Jefferson will be only the fourth African American to be on the board of governors of the Federal yeah. Reserve. So in a hundred years, uh, so this is this is Amazing. an important pick. Uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't roll out the other two at the same time. Uh, I guess they're taking them as they get them. But, um, same, yeah. although we're getting this from sources, so there could be a more concerted rollout right by the communications team. We'll see if maybe that's something that uh, that comes with the, the new week and the new year. Uh, Jeannie, this is the idea, though. This is where maybe not so much Elizabeth Warren, who has very specific and strong feelings about this, but progressives in general wanted to see the president move in this more diverse direction, a more uh, not just diverse backgrounds, but but more diversity in ideas. 
That's right. And he's a very strong candidate. And I am curious to see if they fill out this rollout with the other two. But I think what people like Elizabeth Warren and the progressives and even some moderate Democrats are going to be looking for is, as you mentioned, not just diversity in terms of gender and race and sexual orientation, which is all critically important, but also diversity in terms of their approach. And so we know Elizabeth Warren has talked a lot about how she would like to prioritize tough bank regulation, right? They've talked about addressing climate change risks to the financial system. And I think those are the things that we're watching for to see if this trio of candidates, when they all are finally named, address or meet any of those sort of demands from the progressive left, or if the Biden administration chooses not to go in that direction. I think that's still a big question here. Well, it's a big story for us, of course, at Bloomberg, and one that we'll talk about uh, as we learn more. I just wanted to make sure that you both had a chance to weigh in on it since we were discussing this last week. Uh, As we approach January 6th, this is something else I need to ask you guys about uh, because it's going to sneak up on us here. It's only a couple of days away to think that that it's been a year since the Capitol riot. Uh, We heard from Liz Cheney over the weekend. It was uh, one of the Sunday shows, ABC's This Week. Liz Cheney, of course, one of only two Republicans on the select committee and spoke to uh, some of the testimony uh, they've heard and some of the uh, the documents they've read talking about what was happening inside the White House uh, while the Capitol was burning. Here's Liz Cheney on ABC. We know now about what the former president was doing on the 6th while the attack was underway. The committee has firsthand testimony that uh, President Trump was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching on television as the Capitol was assaulted, Mm -hmm. as the violence uh, occurred. Um, We know that that is clearly a supreme dereliction of duty. Pretty remarkable stuff. Just just the, the, the image of the president, you know, watching TV in the dining room. Presumably snacks are out here. Uh, Rick Davis, I, I also am drawn to the headline uh, that a lot of us saw this morning at Politico. At time of Capitol prayer service on January 6th, Trump will deliver remarks doubling down on the big lie. Kind of the ultimate split screen affair here. Uh, that we're going to actually be witnessing on on the anniversary. Now, I don't know if any cable news carries Donald Trump, but it's pretty hard to argue with some of the uh, the polling data that we've seen from Quinnipiac and others who uh, not only want Donald Trump to run again, but but do believe that this election was stolen. When you hear Liz Cheney talking like that, what does it tell you about what else we might learn, Rick? Well, you would think that there would be details about um, any comments he made uh, with the chief of staff or members of his family who did uh, try and lobby him to uh, take action against the uh, rioters at the uh, at the Capitol. So that would be interesting to sort of get a sense as to what reaction they got when they presented uh, this idea of calling uh, uh, publicly to have these people stand down. Yeah. Uh, if he rejects that, then I think it's a, another uh chink in his armor that uh, is going to hurt him uh, long term. But you, you, you raise an important point about the polling. I mean, we, we are now seeing consecutive polls showing about a third of the, the uh, voting population uh, uh, talking about how it's justified to have violence in certain circumstances against your government, uh, yeah. that the democracy is in crisis. Um, uh, so I, I think this is the kind of thing, and Liz Cheney comments go right at it, 
that we have to have this dialogue with the American public to ensure that um, uh, we get it right this time going forward. That was the uh, the CBS News poll. Again, as Rick mentioned, one in three Americans say violence against government can be justified. Uh, and, and, and the Monmouth University poll uh, that that kind of blows me away, Rick, that that three quarters of Republicans still believe that Joe Biden won the presidency due to voter fraud. Should I believe that number or are you skeptical of that? I'm skeptical of it. I, I think leadership matters. I think that when uh, Republicans are told by their leaders that there was fraud, uh, they're going to be deferential to some degree. Uh, and 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 so it's really incumbent upon the leaders of the Republican Party to say otherwise. Um, uh, silence is consent. And if people like Mitch McConnell and other leaders in the Republican Party don't correct the record, uh, then uh, then you shouldn't be shocked to see these kinds of mm. poll numbers. Democrats' composure will be important uh, surrounding these uh, these events on the anniversary here, uh, Jeannie. And this commission says it's about to go public. It'll be the public phase uh, of the of the prosecution, if you will. What are we about to learn? Well, this is a committee really racing against the clock here, and they're, they have told us they're trying to address the big question, which is whether former President Trump launched a coup against both the United States Congress and in an attempt to change votes in key states, including Georgia, yeah. Michigan, Wisconsin, and others. When you see polling and numbers so like this, though, Jeannie, question. and I, I apologize to, for interrupting, do you believe that it'll have any impact? I mean, or does everyone kind of learn what they already thought going into this? Part of this depends on what the committee puts out. They've got to put out a broad picture in a timely manner of what they have learned. And then, of course, if they have evidence of a coup attempt, what does that mean? Does the Justice Department pursue that legally? I don't think they will. But, you know, what this all means is the big question. And the committee's got to try very hard. They're smart people on the committee. They've got to try very hard not to be painted or picture themselves as in a partisan witch hunt, which is how the right wing of the Republican Party would like to paint them. So it's a very tough uphill battle for this committee in a very short period of time. We understand we'll get an interim report sometime spring, summer, and a final report just before the November election. And the timing on that, of course, is going to make many people feel this is partisan. It does make you wonder what kind of uh, role that Donald Trump will be playing in the midterm elections. That same uh, column uh, in Politico quoted a number of of mainstream Republicans, Rick, who who said that Donald Trump is more influential now in the Republican Party than maybe he ever was Uh, as a Republican strategist. Do you believe that's true? Yeah, to some degree, he's stayed in the game. Uh, he's tried to use his uh, stature as a former president uh, and the leader of the Republican Party to uh, raise money. He's raised and amassed a, uh, a small fortune in campaign funds, over $100 million. And, uh, and, and, and those are the kinds of things that uh, can, can create a lot of power within a political party. And he's picking winners and losers in primaries, which typically never happens with a former president. So he's breaking all the different, um, I would say, standards that exist out there, um, but he's doing it uh, to his own benefit. Not sure he's helping the party. Not sure these candidates will succeed, but he's definitely exerting his influence. Ralph Reed uh, was one of them, Jeannie. He said you could make the argument Trump is in a stronger position within the party today than perhaps he ever has been. Is that strengthened or potentially weakened, called into question on the anniversary this week? 
I think it's going to be called into question. I, I think an awful lot depends on By his base, how the the what? By his base. Oh, by, by his base, you know, I mean, I think it does depend an awful lot on what we see on Capitol Hill and also what we hear Trump say. Yeah. But, you know, I do think what matters most in terms of Donald Trump is what happens, quite frankly, in 2022. He's trying to prop up a good number of secretary of states and even board of elections people in these states to overturn elections if he runs in 2024. Well, I'm deeply curious to see how this plays on TV. Will it be a split screen or will it be like... Donald Trump isn't actually talking. We'll find out together, and we'll cover it here on the Fastest Hour in Politics. Great to be back. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.